If y'all would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. While you're doing that, perhaps you noticed it in the, uh, in the long pastor's prayer. Uh, I, I don't have any cool Valentine's Day illustrations or anything like that. I, I'm sorry. And so, uh, <laughs> and so in the prayer, I thought it might be most appropriate to think on such things that the world has adopted. But uh, here we find Haggai. And we find a new sermon series. And this sermon series is going to be very important for us at Centennial. It, it's printed in your bulletin. It's called Homecoming and Heart Checks, Serving God in the Present. What we get in the book of Haggai is an introduction to some people who are home. It's a homecoming. They have been away from home for a long time. And they are finally back. But everything is different. They are different. Their home is different. Because you see, they were gone because uh, a huge war machine swept through their land and destroyed everything, including them. They are, if you might be familiar with this Bible word, the remnant God's people had been, in the world's eyes, destroyed. And yet here they are, returned. God had fulfilled his word that he would have a massive homecoming of his people where they would once again dwell in their home, on their land. And so Haggai finds himself addressing those people on behalf of the Lord. God is giving him a word for some people who are home. But, but there's a problem. They need a heart check. Their hearts are not in the right place. In fact, they have been severely misplaced. I believe that these post-exile prophets, which is what they're called, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they are most naturally present now in the 21st century for the 21st century church in Southeast America, in our little context of associate reformed Presbyterianism. We need Haggai. We need God's word through Haggai. And I think you'll see why. Because, and maybe you might resonate with this, Many of us think about the glory days of our own denomination. We think about the glory days of our own church, perhaps. I have heard y'all share about lovely and deep memories. But those memories have taken on certain amounts of years. It's no longer a decade or two that I hear about. It's three and four and five decades ago. I remember when, but... I am here today to tell you that we are home right now and that God is working in the present and we must be working in the present. That's what this series addresses. It's a homecoming, but we're already here. But wow, COVID tried to displace us, didn't it? But we're home and now we need to check our hearts and we need to serve God in the present. And that's exactly what God is telling his people in Haggai. It is a series most natural for us, and I hope that we might find ourselves here for some time as we seek to see what God might have for us. And so 
having said that, and in that light, our main point this morning from this first chapter and the first 11 verses of this chapter is that there is godly service to be done right now. There is something to do, in other words. God has called us here at Centennial in this moment to do something. May we see a little bit more of what that means, of the foundation that is laid for us to do such things in God's word now. But first, let's pray before the reading of God's most holy and inerrant word. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this word, this perfect word, help us to be humble. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart that is not stony, but that is beating and alive by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see and to believe and to know and to move and to breathe and to have all of our being within you because of what you are doing here in this moment, right now, even through the prophet Haggai. Lord, would you bless us in the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Haggai chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. Thus says the Lord, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God, it remains forever. This word right here, which can seem so intense, but stick with me, you will see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ herein. Remember, there is godly service to be done right now. Two points will get us there this morning. Human selfishness is a certain path to frustration. Okay? That's number one. Number two, godly service is a certain path to blessing. 
Very straightforward, but a bit more complicated in practice. First, human selfishness is a certain path to frustration. Verses 1 through 6, 9 through 11. I think y'all maybe caught the gist of that. God, through Haggai, immediately asks a hard question of the people of the time. Why are you not rebuilding the temple? Why are you not rebuilding my house? God had brought this remnant home. He had revealed his true word in the timing and the logistics and the preservation of his people. He did it. He fulfilled his word. They came home. The temple was time to be rebuilt. And a little bit of frustration in the mechanics of that. A little bit of frustration in the politics of that. Stopped it dead in its tracks. So God asks, where is my house that I might be in your midst once again? Isn't that what you want? The people's response, it's a simple one. Maybe we resonate, maybe we don't. The time hasn't come. (laughs) We'll get to it. The time hasn't come yet, but it's on the list, Lord. Don't worry. It's not yet. God's rebuttal is simple too, though. Don't lie. Don't lie. God is waking his people up out of their worldly stupor and into an otherworldly awareness through the prophet Haggai. Human selfishness, he is saying, is a certain path to frustration. And the frustration can happen in one of two ways. One that is happening in in our text this morning, one that is happening to these people, and another that is much more dangerous. Let's start with the dangerous one. God gives it all to you, and you drown in your own intoxication. So remember this first point, human selfishness is a certain path to frustration. God, in his sovereign will, can give you over to the things that you desire of the world. If you want to think about it, uh, this is not the case for all things, but it's an easy illustration. Think about the alcoholic who owns a liquor store. He has it all. She has it all. All she has to do is go into the stock until she's done, until it's over. God can give you all that you desire and give you over to those things, and it's over. That is worse than what is happening right here. The second thing, where God takes it all away. And you dry up like an alcoholic stopping cold turkey. I don't know if y'all have ever uh, um, had chance or opportunity to support somebody who's coming out of an addiction or something like that. I have. uh, And it is quite shocking to the system to see how intense the grip is on these individuals, on any given thing. And what the first couple days, the first week, or more can look like. Maybe some of you are familiar. But in that, though it can be very painful, number one is still worse than number two, right? Because when God gives you over, it's the path of destruction. It's over. 
But when God continues to pull you in, to discipline you, in the case of the people in Haggai's time, removing all the things that you might desire, for instance, he does it that you might grow closer to him in righteousness. Uh, You notice the lists, right? Uh, You try to put on every jacket you have and you are still freezing, right? Uh, You know, could you imagine, man, my hands, right? Your hands get cold sometimes. It's winter. I think, man, if I just get like some super warm mittens or something, you know, doesn't matter. Cold hands every time, right? You think, what is the deal? You know, you eat food. Doesn't matter. You have it all. Doesn't matter. The Lord is pulling and taking those things away, making them like dust and ashes in the mouth. And as he does that, you have nowhere else to turn until you look unto the Lord. God's taking it all away. He's causing you to dry up cold turkey and then to look to God again. You know, COVID, I've seen both in COVID. I've seen God give people over, and I've seen God take it all away and bring them to himself. May we be those that he takes it all away from. May we be those who look to him as we see things that we're so used to, that we so desperately want. We think, I don't have those things, but I do have you, Lord. Could we say that? Can we say that as a church? I think we can. I think we can. I think number two is happening here at Centennial right now. I think it has been actually. um, Way longer than my tenure. I think God is working in a post-exile fashion. I was just mentioning with a few of our tech aficionados up the stairs there with our live stream before our service this morning. Thinking about this sanctuary and how... Uh, perhaps in the 50s when this building was brand new and 60s you think man we can't get a seat in the house we've got to go plant a church just mentioning about two church plants that we're very close to Edwards Memorial and and Sherwood Forest but you know we we have these moments right where where there's not there's not room in the house but now there is a little bit of room and yet God's still here and God's still working In fact, he's working in miraculous ways. And I know that like me, you could testify and witness to the reality of God's power within our midst, of the fellowship here, of his working and of the faith, of the baptisms, of the belief, of the lives lived and the care given and received, of the glory rendered unto God. And we know that he is here. And we know that he is working. And praise be to God, we know he hasn't given us over. And yet it still at times can feel like, wait, are you taking these things away? What is this? What are we thinking about and why? He's changing our heart. He has not given us over, but he does discipline us at times. And I believe he's doing it right now for our good and for his glory. It's with this in mind, though, that we need to see the other side of the coin, right? Uh, Because even as we see human selfishness being a certain path to frustration, we must remember that godly service is a certain path to blessing. We see that most particularly in verses 7 and 8. This point, it, it must be built on some important foundational truths. When it comes to godly service, God is giving us the heart, the capability, and the opportunity In other words, we aren't 
the creators of our godly service. God is. If you wanted to see this from the word very explicitly, check out Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church there. Circular letter meant to go to a lot of places actually for good reason. Because in it, Paul lays out the gospel of the Lord Jesus and how it's not just a moment in time on the timeline. It goes and it goes for our whole lives because God, as he starts and wells up this born-again moment, we then live a life as new believers, as new creatures, as new men and women in the Lord. And he sets up these good works in front of us that we might do them and glorify God and serve him all the same till we transition over to glory to be with him forever. And so here, we must remember the same thing, that God is giving us this. He gives us the heart through his word. This is Haggai's word in the first place. Think about it. God didn't have to address his people. He doesn't have to do that. There is no responsibility on God's side to give us his word and to change our hearts. God does that willingly and graciously. Grace, unmerited gift, right? So you might define grace, unmerited. You don't deserve it, you get it, right? That's what grace is, okay? And so God is giving us this word through Haggai that hearts might be changed. God gives us capability by his Holy Spirit. Did you hear the question from Haggai to the people? Can you consider your ways? Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, right? Consider them. How do you have the power to do that if not by God working in your very heart and soul that you might say something is wrong? I need to consider my ways. Have you ever considered your ways? It can be quite humbling, even post-belief. Very importantly as well, God gives us opportunity. Notice first part of verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. In other words, the people's problem was not resources. It was heart. In fact, throughout all time, I challenge you. I challenge you to look. I'd love to have this conversation with any of you. Throughout all time... God's people's problem has never been resources, no matter how much we love to talk about our budget. It has never, ever once in the whole existence of the world ever been about resources. It's always been about heart. What is our problem? It's heart. It's always been heart. And the heart problem has led to the misunderstanding of blessing. What God takes pleasure in, God's people take pleasure in. But the fundamental truth of that statement is warped in Haggai's time and in our time. What God takes pleasure in, God's people take pleasure in. It's warped. Don't you see it? It's irrefutable. But we must be different. 
We must, as God tells us, consider our ways. Verses 8 and 9, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Why? That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. This movement here is the gospel itself. This fundamental warping of the truth that what God takes pleasure in, we must take pleasure in. That This warping where what God takes pleasure in is quite offensive to us. I want to take pleasure in what I like and desire, right? It's what we do. Let me get what I like. When you go to the restaurant, you don't think to yourself, you know, what does somebody else like? I'm going to order that today. See what it's like. <laughs> no, you, you get your favorite thing on the menu. You know, you might branch out a little bit, but no. You go after your own tastes. But what we see here in the walk of the Christian is that we don't look to ourselves. We look to God. And that's what the gospel does. That's what being born again is. That's what being a new man or a new woman, a believer, a heart change. That's what all of that uh, Christianese Bible language is saying. Is that in the moment when the Holy Spirit, boom, resides in you, your desires are different. You will still have sin within you. And now... You have the power by the Holy Spirit to look to God rather than yourself and to see what is good and pleasant in his sight and to seek after it, knowing that he is good, that he means good for you, and that you will find your peace and joy and contentment there and there alone. You are privy to the truth where the world is still bound up in the lie and sin of the world. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus has done. He has unlocked us. He has freed us from the chains of our own slavery to sin. That's what Paul would say in letter to Romans. Not my language, but his. It's the gospel. And God is, God is once again, he's freely giving it. He's freely offering it to his remnant, his people who have come home. It's a homecoming, but they need a heart check. And once again, he's extending his hands of love and grace and mercy. And love. And love. And love. In Hebrew, that word steadfast love and long-suffering, right? His patience in the... Hebrew, the word means long nose. He's a long-nosed God because when you get angry, sometimes your nose might turn red. And so if you're long-nosed, you got to be super mad before your nose gets red, right? He's a long-nosed God, long-suffering. And so he extends time and time again the good news of salvation to his people, of which we are and of which he is doing. Now, when we start to take these things together, that human selfishness leads to frustration, that godly service leads to blessing. It becomes apparent to those who believe that the right choice is godly service. Okay, sign me up. Let's do this thing. But, but what does that even mean? 
we have a couple steps that we might begin to take and that we might begin to discern as we dive into this series. Let's walk through it very quickly. Now, there is godly service to be done right now. Remember, that's the main point. Verse 1, the word of God came to the leaders and to the people. Step 1, listen to and know the word of God. He will show you how to serve him there. Do you care about God's word? <laughs> it's almost a joke, right? We say yes, but it is so hard, isn't it? Our sinful selves, our worldly schedules, they draw us away from the very thing that we need, God's word. Do you care about God's word? If you read God's word, here's the trickiest part. Because we can still mess it up, right? If you read God's word, do you read it with intention to grow in your knowledge of God and how to serve him? Or do you read it so you can check that little box off and say you're doing the year, uh, the year Bible reading in a year thing? Oh, I'm doing it this year. Check my box. That feels good. I'm a couple days behind, but nobody knows except for me. I'm doing it this year, right? Boom, check the box. That's my one goal is to check the box and say I'm caught up. Or whatever it might be. Or do you read with intention? If you are a reader of the word, and I encourage each of you to be, pray this before you read. God, show me yourself. And show me how I might serve you from this word. Pray it. Pray it every single day. Don't let it become rote. Pray it with a depth of heart gumption. And see if God answers it. I know he will. Do you know God's word? Do you read God's word? And are you doing it with intention? That's step one. Verses two through four. The people drugged their feet in service to God, but they were hyper diligent in service to self. Did you notice it? Ah, we'll get to your house, Lord. Mine's got some nice panels on it, though. You seen mine? That's Southern Living right there. You know, that's panel. You see the panels? That's nice, right? Uh, it's mentioned in the Word. Can you believe it? Paneled houses. I mean, this must have been something intricate and nice to be mentioned explicitly. The people drugged their feet to serve God, but they were hyper-diligent to serve themselves. Step two. Once you start listening to and knowing the Word of God, do something in service to God. Do something. Do something. Ask me. Ask an elder. Call somebody that is struggling. I mentioned some actually before this service. Text somebody that's on your heart. Reach out to somebody with some of that Bible that you've been reading. Do something. Big, little, in between. Do it for the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 11. God cuts through the red tape and tells his people why they're frustrated. God is the one frustrating them. Do you see it? Why is all this stuff happening to us? And God says, well, it's me. <laughs> no, what? You know, uh, surprise, you know, no. Right? You see it. Why? I'm doing it to you. God is explicit. He tells them. I am the one that's frustrating you. He's frustrating them because they're not focusing on the right thing. Step three, listening and knowing the word, doing something, and then doing it for God and not 
for you. That's the trickiest part, right? Jesus addresses it. If you're going to give, don't let your hands know what's giving what, right? It is so tricky to, uh, to, to kind of move within your heart on your own. It's because you can't. It's because God's got to work. And as God works, we begin to do things for God rather than ourselves, rather than to uh, gain some uh, notoriety within the church. I don't even know what that means, but it happens. Maybe it's a power grab, an authority thing, selfish grab. I don't know what it is. But we do it on accident and maliciously. We do it in our families. We do it at our works. We do it everywhere we are. But God has called us to a different way to cut through all those things and to look to him and to serve in his name alone. Why'd you do this? Did it in the name of the Lord. Your heart might be screaming to say, I did it because I want you to recognize me or something like that. But you pray, no, Lord, squash that. I did it in the name of the Lord. I did it in the name of the Lord. Why'd you do that? In the name of the Lord. Sounds silly? In the name of the Lord. I did it for God, not for myself. God is the one who has saved me. I did it in his name because of what he has done. And that is where you see the power of the Christian church begin to bear itself out no matter the number because it is so otherworldly to do something not for yourself but for someone else truly that it's absurd in the world today. Believe it. There's a lot of people who can try to trick you into it, but you see their intentions, right? Turn on the news. Nobody is tricking us, right? The politicians, we know, right? Everybody I've talked to knows. It's weird, right? We buy into this thing, but they're doing it for themselves. Call me a cynic, but the world is selfish. Christians are not. We must do it in the name of the Lord. What are those things? We'll dive into them in this series. We will look and see what God desires of us in a, dare I say it, post-exile world where we have come home, but home looks a little different. This is a word that is shot across the bow, and we desperately need it. The world is quickly changing and we must mature spiritually to weather these things. It is a must, a necessity, not a nicety. As your shepherd, as the one who has been called to serve and lead and sacrifice, we must mature now. And God is giving us the opportunity. It's a heart check. And it is time to serve God in the present now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you give us and keep giving us that which we need from you, our sustenance, our desires, our maturity, our staying power, the perseverance that walks right through the fall of empires and the rise of others. Leaders come and leaders go. Institutions come and go. Cities come and go. And yet, God, you stay. 
and your people stay and we continue forever. And so God, please, here in this word, affect us in our very souls that we might move forward for your glory and bless us all the way, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.